Welcome to the Surly Horns Podcast. This is Season 2, Episode 13, and I am recording from my car right now because my son won't stay asleep in this small house that I'm in right now. RGB3, how you doing today? A lot better than you in a car. Uh, last time we talked about you in a car, you were stuck on I-35 for like 12 hours, so I hope the podcast doesn't go that long. I think our, our <laughs> listenership will fall off a little bit if we do that, but man... I feel great. You know why? Because not only did I see Godzilla versus King Kong, I fucking called it. You did. I called it absolutely a hundred percent. You had the entire plot. It's like it's like you wrote the script almost. Oh, for sure. I mean, it was like I I knew it. The second I saw the trailer, I knew what it was going to be about. And then the second I saw Mecha Godzilla in that trailer, like it was just like a one second clip. I was like, that's Mecha Godzilla. They're going to team up and fight that motherfucker. The second I saw that, I knew I had it right. And guess what? I'm sitting here and it was an awesome movie. So I don't I don't regret that at all. Like we have we have a media room with a big projector. And uh, sorry for spoiling the movie uh, for anybody that just popped into the podcast and hasn't watched it yet. But either way, go watch it. It's still awesome because you don't give a crap about the plot. The plot is just, you don't need it at all. Like the human characters were the worst part of that movie. All you wanted to see was a monkey and a giant lizard just trading blows. And that's what we got. Yeah. I honestly feel like they could have taken all of the people out of that movie and it would have been a better movie, but still the best movie I think in 2021 by far. I, I almost so far, I almost, uh, turn. I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna lie. I almost turned the fucking movie off when uh the main antagonist guy, the scientist CEO guy, oh, God, his, his daughter, when she came on and came on to like the big boat where they were like going to Skull Island and stuff. I I damn near almost turned the movie off. I was like, this is terrible. Like she's awful. She's ruining the movie. <laughs> it's just no good. The first third. Yeah, the first third was just it was damn near unwatchable until you get King Kong on the boat. Until then, it's just like, I don't care. I don't need exposition for this. I know it's the the exposition is in the title. It's King Kong versus Godzilla. That's what the people are here for. Like, give the people what they want. And uh, I mean, if you think about it, if you took all the human parts out and just added two extra fights, sure, the CGI budget would probably double. But I bet you the movie would be even better. Uh, you don't need exposition. If you had five total fights, mm, you know what? I think I feel like you could. I feel like you could have left humans in the movie, uh, except all of them should have been like the deaf little girl that just <laughs> just shut the fuck up and <laughs> just let like, this monkey and this lizard fight it out. So, so there were f- there were three fights, not counting Mecha Godzilla, and you got to give the first one to Godzilla, obviously on his home turf on water. Um, second one goes to Kong. They even said the cheesy ass line where, Oh, looks like this round goes to Kong. Like, Oh yeah. Okay. Sure, buddy. And then the third one was obviously, um, Godzilla. He put that dude in a casket until they like shocked him somehow. Um, and he undertaker sat up and he's like, all right, I'm good. I'm going to fight Mecha Godzilla now. So you got to give it two one Godzilla. Just give us one more fight is what you should have done. You know, make it an even draw between Godzilla and King Kong. And then the tag team, you know, win because right now King Kong looks a little bit like a pussy. If he didn't get that axe, um, he's probably dead right now. I so I feel like King Kong on on raw strength doesn't win. He doesn't win, but he's got the no, got like the, the, the the Planet of the Apes. The fucking you know he can speak English now. Apparently, he can fucking talk about going home, and you know he he can talk. Basic Come on the podcast, King trips. Kong. Come on the pod. <laughs> <laughs> we just got to get him on the podcast now. He can speak English. Yeah, we We're good. Um, <laughs> but I mean, the, the thing with, that makes Godzilla unfair is the lightning breath. I mean, he took out all of Hong Kong with this, that lightning breath thing. He drilled to hollow earth. Yeah. Just look down and just, he sat in the middle of fucking Tokyo or whatever that was. And <laughs> just fucking <laughs> lightning breath into the fucking center of the earth until, I, I I mean, how how crazy is it? How crazy OP is it that he can fucking, number one, sense hollow earth yeah. from the surface of earth. And number two, send a, a, a lightning breath, whatever that was, down to the exact spot 
to make that axe just go crazy. Yeah, and then, I mean, yeah, if you didn't give King Kong the axe, I mean, there's just no way he even comes close to beating him. I mean, he's he's one laser shot away. Like, he gets a laser to the chest, and he's going down. He's done. So they had to, you know, they had to even the playing field with, with, with the axe. And I've got to say, it looked pretty damn cool when they like power charge the axe and, you know, cut Mechagodzilla's head off and all that shit. That was badass. Favorite frame in the movie. What was your favorite frame in the movie? Like, it can't be a sequence, right? Just your favorite. If you could take one frame out of the entire movie as a still, what was your favorite frame? Uh, I think the it's got to be on in Hong Kong with all like the neon lights behind it. And just probably them staring and yelling at each other. Pretty baller. So my favorite frame of the whole movie, and maybe this just shows my bias to Kong, is in Hollow Earth when Kong sits in the throne thing and he's got his and, and he's got the fucking axe and he's just fucking Oh, on the throne. That was cool. Kong in the throne. That was baller. Yep. That was yeah, I mean, that gave him the king title on top of that. Hell yeah. That was that was pretty sweet. Either way, I totally recommend watching it, even if we just spoil the shit out of shit out of it for you. Uh I thought it was really cool. I give it like an eighty out of a hundred. Um you take the humans out and it's probably like an eighty five to ninety. So talking about things that are not epic, if you haven't listened <laughs> to our special release podcast, you need to go give it a listen because we had Grant Pinkerton on talk about and give a very technical breakdown of just how shitty Lincoln Riley's brisket actually was. So I got to give the backstory on how this started. So this is Easter Sunday. So obviously it was an East Lincoln Riley's Easter brisket is what it'll be known as an in infamy forever. I think um, it's like eight o'clock or whatever. Um, that thing had been on the pit for at least t- 72 hours <laughs> in Lincoln Riley's house. So <laughs> he chops it up and decides to tweet it out to the world, just bragging about it. So I see it. The first thing I, I, I text, I'm back and I said, we got to get an emergency podcast. I'm texting Pickerton now. Um, I think Grant said something along the lines of, Hey, I'm really drunk with my pit masters, but hell yeah. Shoot me a link. Um, at this point, I'm at least four bottles of wine deep. I'm sure I'm a Mac is not sober in the slightest. It's, you know, we're celebrating Jesus. So, <laughs> so we were blasted that entire time, but uh, that was probably our funniest episode of all time. It's 15 minutes and you absolutely have to go back and listen to it. It is, um, it is a cultural experience at this point um, because that brisket was just terrible. Yeah, somebody tweeted that it needed some cocoa butter. (laughs) I don't know if they're... Number one, I've never seen a brisket that bad ever in person. Like, I've I've seen some atrocious briskets that that came out dry as fuck. I've never, never, ever in person witnessed a brisket that looked like that that, at all. Yeah, me and my boy Uncle Buck tried to put it together on Twitter on how, how it came to be. And we cannot, for the life of us, figure it out. We think there might be Italian dressing involved. Um, we think that <laughs> he might have boiled it in some way. Um, he might. We. So, so my thing is, he had to have cooked it extremely, extremely long and extremely low. There is no way that he could cook that on high heat. Cook it all the way through. Um, and it looked like that. So he had to have put it on like my guess is like he cooked that for 35 to 36 hours on like 200 or 210 until it probably hit like a 235 internal. It looked like he never came. He thought he never came out of the stall. Yeah, it just got stuck at 190 and just sat there uh, for like 12 hours because he didn't know, hey, just like turn it up a bit, like, you know, get a little heat on it and might be done sooner. But I figured out because in my mind, I was like, how did he not just shred the hell out of it the second he cut into it? And I think it was because he had an electric knife. And so he got that electric knife going, so it's not going to shred. It's just going to carve right through it because it. I I can't I can't really fathom how else something can turn out like that. And there's no way. Like I know somebody backed him up. Like oh, it made great brisket tacos. It's like no, there's no way. There's no ounce of moisture in that brisket. It not even like not even a drop. I've seen shitty brisket. Even that like remember that New York brisket 
tweet where it's like, oh, all the best barbecues in Brooklyn now. And it's like one piece of like shitty ass, like boiled brisket. Even that looks like it had some moisture to it. Even John Cornyn's brisket that we keep talking about, it had moisture on it, it had ketchup on it. But still, like that was just not barbecue. That was whatever. No, not it was, Texas an, it was brisket. abomination. I, it was an abomination from a barbecue perspective, but I, I'm not going to lie. It, it looked like a pretty decent meal from a brisket perspective, right? From like a, a, the cut of meat, you know. Maybe for you. Corned beef isn't barbecue <laughs> either. Corned beef is still pretty goddamn good. That's fair. Right? That's yeah. fair. That's fair. So, I mean, I'm sure if you shredded it up, you put it in a bunch of eggs, you know, you know, cheese, some salsa, throw it in a breakfast taco. I'm sure it it's, still it's tasted edible. like absolute dog shit. There's, I mean, there's, no, there's just no way there's any flavor to it. Even the, there's no bark to it. I still can't figure out the smoke ring, how it was yellow. Like that had to have either been a filter or he boiled it in piss. <laughs> there's no alternatives. So going from something amazing to something that is so bad that it's also amazing. We have some more amazing content for the Surly Horns listeners out there. So, we do have a really special guest for today's show, and it's a man that does not need an introduction, but RGB3 is going to give the man an introduction. All right. We have former Texas Long Snapper and United States Army Green Beret. He's an actor. He's acting with 50 Cent and Gerard Butler. He's the oldest ever NFL rookie um, with the Seattle Seahawks. He is an American hero and a motherfucking badass. We got Nate Boyer on the podcast. I guess the first question naturally is, uh, how did you get involved with like the University of Texas and identifying that you wanted to come to the University of Texas and and play football? Well, I was uh, I was in the, the army at the time. I was actually deployed in Iraq, and that's in, I was in uh, 08, 09. and so it was uh, uh, I guess Col- Colt McCoy's junior year and the team i think that was the year i think the team they lost to tech on that crabtree catch yeah we, yeah we won't bring up gideon yet but <laughs> yeah, we were going to talk about like he's a good buddy so careful <laughs> yeah oh yeah no 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 we we, we love him now yeah we hit one play <laughs> yeah but anyway yeah so that you know it was that season i was watching so i was watching texas over there but I, you know also like there's just that Longhorn logo was everywhere in the world. And I noticed a lot of soldiers kind of were repping the brand. And I made the decision when I was in Iraq that I was going to go back to college and try out for a football team wherever I went. Didn't really know where I wanted to go necessarily, but I'd been to Austin once and really liked it. Uh, Texas is, as a state, is just good to their veterans. And, uh, you know, I, I wanted to go to a, a program with, you know, a, a great history. And, you know, Coach Brown as well was, he'd been on those USO tours gone over and like visited the troops before and heard nothing but good things. So that was kind of where that decision came from. Cause I didn't grow up a Texas fan at all. I mean, when I was a little kid, uh, I grew up in the Bay area. So I, I like Cal and my mom went to Cal. She got a graduate degree from there. And then also Notre Dame because Joe Montana was a 49er and he went to Notre Dame and I was a Niners fan and Notre Dame was, you know, when I was little, like they were, they were on TV. They're still on TV every week. So it's like, exactly. And so you just kind of, be, and they were really good at the time also, because I grew up on it was Tim Brown and Rocket Ismail and like, oh, yeah. you know, these Heisman Trophy winning studs. And um, so I just was, I was a Notre Dame fan, you know, as a, as a kid mostly. And, uh, and then, and Texas was never like, of course they're on my radar, but they're, they're kind of a villain, you know? Oh yeah. Um, Everyone likes to hate Texas. That's just the way it is. Yeah. So I didn't hate them necessarily, but I was indifferent. But actually, when they played uh, when they played SC in the national championship, oh, yeah. um, I pulled for SC. Oh, <laughs> I was from California, and I was in. I was in. All the right, Army interviews time. over. Uh, thanks for coming on. I was in the army at the time, and we 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 they let us. Uh, we were in training actually, uh, out in this out in the out in the woods, and they. They let us take the night off to watch the game and got this little, they wheeled this little TV in to the barracks for us to watch. Like it was a, you know, like in, when you were in class in elementary school and they wheeled a TV in. Substitute teacher comes in. It was basically like that. And uh, and I was the only one pulling for SC, 
which was funny. So everybody else, because most, you know, most of the people in that room were probably from Texas or just from the Midwest or the South. And so they're all. Did, did Mac, Mac Brown know this when uh, you're were, you were trying to walk on? No. Absolutely not. <laughs> probably smart. Probably smart. <laughs> I'm hoping that's the first time you've ever told that story. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I have on the radio. Oh, that's funny. It might be, a, might be exclusive. How much do you keep up with the the current program, like the current staff? Or how like do you have any connections? Yeah, well, I haven't met a lot of the new staff because there's obviously some recent turnover. But uh, I mean, I'm um, I'm real close with with Blake, <laughs> with Gideon, uh, but and I have but I haven't met Sark yet. I haven't met uh, any of the new guys. But as far as operations go, I know a lot of the ops staff, and uh, I'm gonna have to go back and look and see um, who who was retained. I know the running backs coach, correct? Yeah, Drayton and uh, Andre Coleman. Uh, the receivers coach. Got you. So yeah. I, I know I've met Drayton. I don't know if I've met the receivers coach. I can't remember. I think I must have. I went and spoke to the team last year before practice on the before right before Veterans Day, actually. Oh, awesome. Um, you know, and uh, yeah, so that was that was the last time I kind of was around uh, the, the team itself. But anyways, was uh, was Matthew McConaughey floating around touching the smallest of people's backs <laughs> during that time too? <laughs> <laughs> Minister of Culture, yeah, no, yeah, the Minister of Culture. Uh, he was not there that day. He was yeah. ministering somewhere else, I believe. <laughs> What's the deal with his backwards hook'em horns? You know, do you? Uh, yeah, you know who used to do that also is Steve Patterson, and uh, it's a it's a no go. I don't know, but he did. McConaughey does it. No one's going to correct him. It's McConaughey. Actually, he's probably been corrected several times, and he's like, I don't care, McConaughey. He's too cool to, yeah, he's just too cool to, to correct. But, so you mentioned you're friends with uh, Blake Gideon. Do you realize that he's your age now coaching when you first walked on? Really? Well, how is he? No, he's, he's 31. 31. Oh, I walked on at 29. Give me a break. Oh, okay. Okay, okay. okay. I'll give you some credit then. <laughs> no, but I, I didn't start, yeah, I didn't start long snap until I was 31. So oh, that's okay. when I was, my first year starting, I was 31. Yeah, I know. He, he's done well, man. He, you know, he actually joined uh, the Air Force after uh, he was, I think he spent at least a year, maybe two in the league. You know, I think he was uh, practice squads and just trying to make his way. He was in Arizona and Denver. And then, uh, you know, he was like, I'm, I'm done making that run and I'm going to go serve my country. So he joined the Air Force and was going to be a combat controller. And in the middle of basic training, I think they did some med medical exams or something. And he just had, he had a lot of scar, scar tissue and some, some jacked up. Uh, you know, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. He was messed up. So, yeah, so he, played. he played college football at a, at an elite <laughs> high level. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Might bang you up a little bit for sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so then he went right into coaching. I think he went out, uh, I think he went out and worked for Muschamp in Florida first and then uh, followed him to Auburn, I believe. And then, you know, just kind of, Started in a, maybe Division Three and bumped to a one double A, and then kind of yeah, you make it all the way to the forty. I had a feeling he was going to get where he's at, and I mean he's going to be a great defensive coordinator, if not head coach one day. Yeah. Um, whatever he wants to do, he'll make it happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean he's been a coach on the field since you know his playing days. So exactly, his dad was a coach and a really good one as well. And but yeah, Blake was that's why he started as a freshman. I mean, not the only reason, but one of those reasons is like he knew the defense as well as anybody on the field. You know, as an 18 year old kid, <laughs> which is crazy, <laughs> um, but that's what that's what leaders do. You know, they, they they figure it out and they help in those other ways. That that is an intangible right there. Yeah. So, do you ever get tapped um, on like recruiting? No. For for no. Yeah. I mean, maybe if they found like a super old dude that. Uh, <laughs> You know, yeah. some 28, 29 year old with yeah. some, uh, with some eligibility. Old. Maybe they would. <laughs> but no, I have not been tapped for recruiting purposes. Actually, I did get tapped once from Coach Fields to help recruit a golfer. So, oh, nice. It's <laughs> more in my demographic, you know what I mean? So, yeah, that's funny. So, uh, how does it feel now that you're a man since you're 40? <laughs> Gundy, nice. Uh, feels good. I ran my first marathon a couple of months ago. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was my 40th birthday present to myself. Now I feel, I mean, it doesn't really feel that different. I mean, I've felt old for a long time now. So ever think since I was still in go out and snap? What's that? <laughs> think you can still go out and snap? Yeah, I probably could. I don't know about block or run down field, but I could still snap, you know, and just kind oh, of yeah. stand there. Just, just take it. <laughs> it and start walking to the sideline. 
<laughs> yeah, it's the, it's the blocking thing that was actually really impressive, right? So yeah. you talk a lot about how you got, you know, I think you can go watch on YouTube if you haven't yet. Uh, they, they did a, a really good rundown that you participated in on how you learned how to long snap on YouTube and, and doing that in the middle of your time in Afghanistan. And uh, I, I wanted to ask you about that. How much was it different? You know, everybody says you have a plan until you get punched in the face. Yeah. And so yeah. how different is it long snapping out in the desert, right? Into basically, you know, playing by yourself, getting into a football game and having somebody like trying to take your face off. Right after you the ball. Yeah, no, it's different. It's definitely different. Um, and it's different, you know, the type of blocking is different on field goal extra point versus punts. You know, in college, I weighed about 190 pounds, maybe 195 at the top when I was playing. So it was easy to get thrown around. So I really had to rely yeah. on the guards when we were doing field goal and extra point to, to help me because, I mean, it's a 300 pound nose tackle on the other side of you, you know, trying to block it. And so I got uh, Coach Cyril's, who was our O-line coach when I was there most of the time. He used to say, what do you, what do you call it? Oh, getting thrown out of the saloon. You know, like. <laughs> so, like, that happened a few times. But uh, I don't think a kick ever got blocked because I missed a block. So that's good. Um, that is tiny. But, but, yeah, so that's different. But then punt's, punt's a little bit different because in college you have spread punt, which is nice. So we have the shield back there. And so my, I only had blocking responsibilities on punt my senior year because we did a little bit different uh, scheme. But uh, my sophomore, junior year, I just snapped it and free release, just headed downfield. But uh, senior year, I just had to kind of set back and whichever, if somebody came from the right or left, just kind of pick one and bump him and then go. So it wasn't as bad. You know, field goal and extra point, there's a lot more blocking involved. So we were trying to figure this out um, timeline-wise. Did you play your senior year with Charlie? Yes. Or, okay. Yep. So how was that? So you went through one coaching regime change and yeah. it was, it was honestly probably the messiest coaching regime change. It's a tough I mean, to go from Mac, you know, who was very successful. I mean, yeah, he, he, we had the five and seven year when I very first got to campus actually, and then kind of built back up, you know, almost won the big 12, but that it didn't matter because we didn't. And, you know, he knew he was going to get, get canned. So he stepped down and yeah, it was kind of messy. And it was unfortunate for everybody involved, including Charlie, because I don't think he was set up for success with that position. Cause that was also during the Patterson, the AD change, like all these things were happening. And it was like that job, you know, Matt handled it so well because you have to be that CEO. You have to be that spokesperson for the university. You have to, manage things in a certain way and you have to uh hire of the best position coaches you can and let them do their job you know not that charlie was trying to hire bad people but you know he did <laughs> yeah I mean, just a different caliber of you, want. you gotta get the best you gotta get the best yeah. yeah and so that was that was tough you know that was frustrating and um obviously it cost the program a lot because not only did we not get better we got worse and you know that first year my last year we did go to the texas bowl i think we finished six and six before the bowl game and then we just I, I, we might that was the arkansas yeah, texas bowl, we might right? add 100 yards of offense that game we were punting a lot i yeah. remember that yeah i don't i don't think you were used a lot besides punt so yeah. no i think we scored once oh did we yeah, I think yeah. so. it was like probably turned it off by then that was, was like that was 30, that was to, rough. 30 to 6 or 30 to 8 or something like that i don't know it was cool. But so from the outside perspective, we've, we've heard a lot of really positive feedback on the culture that Charlie brought. We've heard a lot of really negative feedback, especially from Jeffrey McCulloch on um, the last podcast on, on the transformation that happened between Charlie and, and Tom Herman. But can you speak a little bit to that since you, you kind of lived it um, from that transitional period? Because there was everybody said, hey, Mac Brown got soft and it was a country club atmosphere. Chuck came in and was a little bit harder on the nose, but still kind of let the, the Player players family. be big players. Uh, can you can you tell us? Yeah, a bit I mean, about, the tough part was the, was the suspensions and the, uh, uh, I guess, expulsions of the players. You know, we lost like, I think it was like six guys that were starters or damn it. I forgot about that. And that crushed us because this was the year that we felt like we were building to. You know, we had a pretty good team really good team, really good defense. And then we lost a lot of those guys and uh, on the O-line as well. And I mean, not that 
that wasn't warranted necessarily. It's just if it felt like I think to a lot of players that we sh- we should have done everything we could to maintain keep those guys eligible and not look past the mistakes, but like how can we correct these mistakes instead of just making a snap judgment and dismissing them? Because for those seniors, it felt it felt unfair to a lot of guys because it's like this is a we need to win the Big Twelve. You know, we never got a chance to win the Big Twelve. Yeah. And, uh, and we were close last year. We came out of the last game, and it's like we got pretty much everybody back. Like, let's let's do it. And then so that happened coupled with David Ash, you know, getting that concussion and his career ending. So it's like, you know, Tyrone Swoops was – Tyrone was awesome, man. He was a hell of a player. He did everything he could. But, like, was he a true freshman that year? He might have been a true freshman that year or a redshirt. I can't remember. But, you know, that's just to just kind of get thrust into that position and have to go out there and – and uh, just all of a sudden, you're the starter. And it's like, uh, it was just, I think it was David Ashton. It was the center, too, uh, Dom es- uh, uh, Espinoza in that same game. I think, I think first game of the year might have been. Yeah. Like, That's it. They're done. It's like, oh, man. <laughs> Crazy. You know, so I just flipped everything. He's trying to win a Big 12 championship here. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> So. Yeah. So, what what are your thoughts on on Sark from what you've seen, you know, from the outside perspective? I know you haven't had a lot of time with the new coaches now, but you know, you talk about position coaches. But. Yeah. No. I mean, I, I obviously he knows how to win. Um, he's very well respected. Uh, you know, he's going to bring a lot of a lot to the offense as well. Probably a lot of updates that we've needed for for quite some time. I'm guessing. I'm hoping. And 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 uh, and we'll see. You know, it's just all about. I think it's just it's obviously so much about recruiting, but it's also so much about you know making sure that you have the right staff in place and that uh, of course everybody's bought in. Like that's kind of a standard talking about. Yeah, there, for sure. But like you really, you really awesome. need that, you know, and you need to lean on your strengths, whatever those are, whoever your stars are. Like they need to be the ones with the balls in their hand, and that sounded weird. Be but, uh, Robinson. You know, <laughs> yeah, feed the studs. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so, so that's I mean that's just. I think everybody understands that it's just a matter of like, can you execute that? I, I don't, I mean, I hope so. I hope so. I hope this is third time's a charm, you know, hopefully. Gotta be. <laughs> Gotta be. For a second, you know, when we went and won the Sugar Bowl that year, Tom, I was like, okay, we turned the corner. Well, you're I back. was like, oh, we're back. And yeah. it's like, oh, yeah. no. Yeah. <laughs> He did it. He did the thing. <laughs> no, but I thought I fucking believed Sam. I, I believed Sam. Did Sam say that, that year or the year before? I can't remember. That was at the Sugar Bowl. That year. That was right after the Sugar he Bowl. He was holding the yeah. trophy with like confetti falling on him, and he was like, "We're back," and it was like, "We are." I was in the I was in the stands, and I was like, "Fuck yeah!" I was like talking shit to the guys from Georgia, <laughs> chanting SEC, SEC, SEC. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> Side note: So, have you seen? Did you see Lincoln Riley's brisket from yesterday? It's a little dry. <laughs> <laughs> so we were we recorded like a an instant reaction podcast with this uh, fellow named Grant Pink. Little Easter drunk, yeah. yeah. And uh, have you ever eaten at Pinkerton's barbecue? I have not. Oh, okay, you got to try it out. So, um, friend of the podcast, Grant Pinkerton, um, owns a location in San Antonio and a lo- location in Houston, and he makes the best brisket and ribs you'll ever eat. Um, so we, we had to get him on for a live reaction. That's yeah, good. he's the he's the up and coming Aaron Franklin of of Texas barbecue right now. Nice. He's, uh, he's like on a meteoric rise at this point. Nice. Um, so you know, talking about barbecue, did you have your fill of, of barbecue while you were here in Texas? And is there any barbecue that you would say is acceptable for Texans to eat in Southern California? <laughs> there's a there's a place called Bloodsos in LA that's pretty good, but you have to get it there, and it's still not except yeah acceptable is a good word I guess because it's just totally different. I mean, yeah, I haven't found anything that compares to like what I consider really good barbecue in Texas out here. Um, What's your go to spot here um, in Texas? Well, I got a rep. Uh, I got a rep. Um, uh, stuttered spot Whitfield's. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Good, man. Um, but you know, I mean, I like Terry Blacks. I like uh, you know. There's a lot of good spots. I, I'm I'm not uh, I'm not gonna trash any of them. I shouldn't. I should. I'll just stop right there. But they're <laughs> they're all they're all like you know. It's that two percent difference, right? They're all at that tier, and it's like, well, you're asking me to rank, you know, people that scored a hundred or a ninety six. Yeah, it's like yeah. yeah, you have to. I feel like you have to be at that level to stay in business, unless you're just crazy cheap, uh, or or, yep. or at a gas station. 
Um, yeah, Rudy's. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So, what do you order at? Like, what's your what's your classic order at, at a barbecue joint when you go? I like every. I, I want to get a little bit of everything. I mean, I love jalapeno cheddar and the sausage. You know, you have to do that, but you always got to get. I always got to get some brisket, maybe 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 a few burn ends in there, and uh, oh, yeah. uh, and and ribs too. Like, I I kind of go all out. If you're gonna go, I don't go cr- super often. So if I go, I just get everything. And I even like, even though it's maybe not the you know the best barbecue in the world. But it's such a deal. I think they still do that deal. Um, going out to Driftwood and the Salt Lake is always fun because you can just eat for like three hours, you know, and it's like the same price. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. It's not, it's not, yeah, I mean, it's not Franklin's level or anything like that, of course, but uh, no. it's it's passable. It's acceptable for sure. It's as good as everything. And you can bring your own keg. It's as good. Yeah, exactly. It's as good as anything in Southern California. You can get married there too, which is great, you know? Yeah. So. <laughs> just like right outside. Yeah. So, so tell us a little bit about what you've got going on. We talked a little bit about football, your past. What's going on with you like today and, you know, in the future? Before we hopped on the the formal podcast, you're letting us know that you just got done wrapping up a film and you're yeah. in editing now. You want to tell us a little bit or yeah. what you can about it? Yeah, I just I directed my first movie in September, October. And uh, so we're in post-production now. It's taking way too long, but. Just with this year, everything takes long. Also, it was an ultra low budget movie, so I don't have all the money in the world. But we're getting there. I was just reviewing a, a cut today and um, working with my editor and you know, getting where we can with it. But it's based on the genesis of the charity I co-founded, which is MVP. Uh, MVP stands for Merging Vets and Players. And uh, I co-founded it with Jay Glazer. We bring together combat vets and former professional athletes, help them find purpose, identity, service you know the locker room when that uniform comes off typically we're in our 20s and 30s and you know you're done playing pro sports or you're done with the military you know and if you're not done with the military you're probably at least done being boots on the ground you know uh, as a trigger puller or whatever and it's like that feeling that you'll never be great again resonates with a lot of people and it's tough um but it's just a reality and uh it's we want to we also want to often want to isolate and sort of go our own way and maybe that works for some people but i think for a lot of a lot of the guys the main thing they miss is the guys they miss that locker room they miss the camaraderie and brotherhood um more than the game itself or more than serving their country itself um yeah there's purpose in that also but if we can at least recreate the locker room find that community again maybe we can find a new purpose for for these folks you know uh, and it's, it's been pretty special to see what we've been able to do just in five years. We've got chapters in LA, Vegas, Chicago, Atlanta, New York. We're opening Seattle in a couple of weeks and then Dallas uh, shortly after that. So uh, we, I think we need one more pro sports team in Austin to make the, to make the Austin, uh, check the Austin box there. Cause right now we Is that, right even now, with the soccer team that just got right soccer, I think. Yeah. Less, yeah. I was hoping the, uh, the Spurs were going to build that new stadium in like new Braunfels. I, weren't they talking about it? Weren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that would make a ton of sense. I think it's like, and then you're 40 minutes from each place or whatever. But, anyways, uh, so yeah, that's what that's what MVP is. And I, I, uh, I like I said, I co-founded it with Jay, and recently I took over as the executive director, um, just to uh, as we're expanding and, and growing quite a bit, um, just to sort of you know organize things and and kind of get us focused on growing in the right way, and to try to help get some you know sponsors and and, and more donors. Well, yeah, more, more companies. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, it makes all the sense in the world too. You know, um, you know, obviously we weren't you know college athletes or anything, but that camaraderie is something that you miss after you know you leave an environment like that. So, um, yeah, it makes all the sense in the world, and that's that's definitely a, a noble effort. Yeah, appreciate that. Appreciate that. It means a lot. Well, and for me, I think um, it's it's really interesting because once you've been on either a high performing team or, you know, a big group of, of people that are all striving to work towards a, the similar or same exact goal, you almost become something that you couldn't on your own. And right. it sounds like that's a lot of what you're seeking to help people get through. It's not just that they've peaked personally. It's that the experiences they've had, they know that without other people, they're they're not capable of, of achieving that level again. Right. Or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's it's like I think we get fixated on this idea that, that we are the uniform we wore. And then once we use we lose that uniform, 
it's like we lose the person who got to that level. But the reality is like, that's not who you are. I mean, you are the, you're, you're the one who sacrificed so much to fight for your country or sacrifice in a very different way so much to get to that elite level as a professional athlete. You know, I mean, talent definitely matters, but it still only gets you so far. You have to work your ass off. Um, and that's what these men and women have done. And, uh, and it's easy to forget, you know, or feel like I'll never be great again, like I said, or, or I'm just different. And, and there's two different ways of looking at being different. You know, there's like the putting your head down and be like, oh, I'm different. Nobody understands me. And then there's a proud kind of different too. They're like, yeah, I'm different. I, you know, know how to solve problems like none other. And I lean into uh, uncomfortability, you know, and like I, I prefer a little austere environment now and again. Like I, I want some some obstacles in my life because I, I see those as opportunities to uh, do something really good. So it's just, you know, how you, you I think, look at being different, how you, you know, look at yourself and being proud of your scars and remembering that, yeah, maybe you overcame and experienced some really tough stuff, but it was for a good cause. And the best way to honor uh, those from a military perspective, those that didn't make it back is like what you do with your life, you know, following your dreams, like doing what they wish they could do if they were here. Yep, absolutely. All right. So we can either stay heavy or we can get a little lighter. <laughs> I'll let you decide. <laughs> I'll ask both questions and you can answer the one you like better. So uh, obviously the, the last year has been pretty brutal with COVID, but not just with COVID. A lot of social injustices have now bubbled up, especially in the locker room at Texas and, and all kind of came to a head after the Oklahoma game this year where right. Sam Ellinger was out there on the field by himself singing the eyes of Texas. And then that turned into whatever it turned into. Yeah. So that's question one. Question two is what's your favorite cheat meal? Because you're <laughs> really in shape. You just ran a marathon. I'll, I'll let you just navigate through that. Uh, yeah. So that, yeah, that, that whole, you know, and I haven't read the report yet, so I still want to read the report for I genuinely i don't even know if everyone really comment on it you know because at the bottom line is i support people who care about things and who spend their time trying to make a difference you know because i don't always agree necessarily with uh, people's opinion on certain things I mean, even with you know the whole colin kaepernick situation back uh four years four and a half years ago like i don't agree with everything he said and and has uh, as uh, the way he's you know the choices that he's made to to uh spread his message or what he believes but I think he is ultimately trying to do something good, you know, and he wants us to be better and do better. And, you know, it hurts some of the things personally, like it hurts some of the things that he said. And, 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 and but I mean, I, I'm tough. I can, I got thick skin. I can handle that. Um, a lot of the things he said and what he stands for too, are like real issues that we need to fix. And if we really are the greatest country in the world, like then like, let's keep uh, raising the bar and, conducting ourselves in a manner that expresses that, not just being satisfied with being, oh, we're good enough. You know, we're better than most places. Like, okay, great. But how can we actually be the best? We're always talking about being the best. Like, that's what the best does. The best the best players in sports just work harder than everybody continually, you know? Like Kobe, Kobe and LeBron, I mean, those guys, no one would ever question those guys' work ethic. And yeah, they're, the, you know, and Jordan, of course. But I mean, like, and when it comes to the, the, the NBA, like those are great basketball players, but those guys are all we're all known as being gym rats. You know, look at Tom Brady, um, not even the greatest athlete, but the greatest player of all time. And I guarantee it's because he just worked at it and kept working at it. And when he was the best already and he already won six Super Bowls, that's not enough. I'm going to keep working at it. So that's the way I look at this whole situation. And if there's players in the team that feel uh, like things, you know, aren't unequal or that they are not, their voices aren't heard, then I support them standing up and, and, and speaking out as long as they're doing something about it. You know what I mean? Like, and not just telling somebody else to fix the problem. Um, I'm all about it, you know? So, uh, so cheat meal. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was a good sidestep. That was a good sidestep to that question. I'm a, I'm a big, I mean, I love, I love food. I love all kinds of food too. I'm not picky. So this is a problem. Um, there's only like a, that's why this is the, this yeah. is one of the hardest questions ever. Yeah, it is a hard question. Um, dang. Cause I don't like some of my, the things that I love probably aren't even considered cheat meals. Like I love, I love Vietnamese food, but it's pretty healthy. I think, I mean, maybe not the fried yeah, rice, like, but like, yeah, like pho and you know, some of those dishes are not that bad for you. I love that. Um, 
I mean, I love a really good pizza, of course. So that's a that's a tough one. Um, dang, like what's my number one cheat meal? I can't even think of like what would be if I had one meal left on this earth, what would that be? I, I, it would be like so many things. It would like, <laughs> <laughs> It'd be like your barbecue oh, order. Just give me one of everything. Yeah, yeah. Everything. Like, I yeah. love sushi, but it wouldn't be sushi. It definitely wouldn't be sushi. It'd be something way heartier and like heavier, you know, um, with gravy involved probably. Uh, I love oh, okay, so here's a, I love short here's a controversial. Ribs are money. Here's a controversial one. Okay. Tex-Mex Tex versus Cali-Mex. Oh, uh, Tex-Mex, just because the queso, man. You know, I'm nice. actually, here's a here's a, something interesting for anybody that's listening to this that is in LA or going to be out in LA soon. Uh, I went in on a, a restaurant opening up in LA called Justin Quesos. And uh, that's spelled Justin Quesos. And uh, we're, we're opening up on Sunset Boulevard and the queso is legit. I'm happy to say, because there's, it's really hard to find good queso. Pretty much, probably anything west of like New Mexico, I would guess. You know what I mean? Or east of yep. Texas. <laughs> you know? I, yeah, I mean, I don't know that I've ever actually had good queso like the the kind the kind that we're talking about, right? The yeah. melted cheese that you dip your thing in. Exactly. <laughs> Anywhere outside it's of Texas. Stanford for cheese. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So they, yeah, even good. It's good. Like they went out to uh, the the well, the head chefs from Austin. But also, we went all over Texas and um, went to a bunch of you know places that everyone claims this is the greatest. This is the best queso you know there is from yeah from from Javier's to Matt's El Rancho to every other place under the sun. And um, what he came up with is pretty good. And it tastes it ta it's more like you can tell it's good cheese. Sometimes queso is really good, even and it's Velveeta and it's still really good. Velveeta Rotel, exactly. Yeah, just exactly. melted That's yellow good queso. But like this is like it just tastes like more expensive queso, but it's not expensive. But it's it's still yeah, it's good. So I, I I'm not just saying that because I went on. That's one of the reasons I went in on it because I got to try the food first. And uh, yeah, that's a must. Yeah. is like you know made in house, like everything's legit like that. So, but uh, it'll be fun. It's also a it's it's going to be probably more of a, a, a drinking experience first. But they do have food there. Wrong with yeah. that, Billy. Yeah. Good case well, of beer as well from uh, ZZ Top. So, oh, nice, oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> so, did you end up actually getting um, the? Because you, you talked on the podcast with Pat McAfee about the name of your studio. Did you actually get? Um, I haven't. So we haven't opened it yet. But okay. I mean, I guess someone could steal that name, but I hope they don't. <laughs> I mean, the way you described the logo, that's that's so good. Got yeah, yeah no, I'm going to. I'm I'm kind of waiting until we get this cut down on the film and just figuring out if it makes sense to like kind of launch it with in tandem with the uh, opening of the film. And it, it probably does. I just haven't done it yet. Great. Well, um, I know that you said that uh, we want to be respectful of your time. You're a really busy guy, uh, especially running all these these charities that that you're running. And and it sounds like you are a very busy man these days. Um, <laughs> Yeah, thank you for your time. Thank you for carving some out, and uh, thank you for your service as well. Got to throw that in there. Oh, cool. Yeah, and, uh, and forever confusion to your enemies. <laughs> there you go. All right, hook yeah, hook them. Hook them. Yeah, not this way. This way. So coming off of one Longhorn legend, talking about another Longhorn legend in Jordan Spieth. What an amazing performance, winning that Valero Open, and now he's the favorite to win the Masters this week. Yeah, man, he's he's rolling. Um, I don't think he's a favorite. I think he's like third or fourth. Um, That's but either way, he should be. He looked, he looked great. He's my favorite to win it. Um, yeah, uh, he looked great in the Valero Open. Um, hopefully, this is getting him back on track. It's his first win, I think, in three years. So uh, I'm going to be watching as much Masters as I possibly can. It is Masters week. You should have already been watching Masters. Yeah, by the time you're listening to this, we're we're a day and a half in. Um, so uh, yeah, one thing that I hopefully hope, speaks at the top of the leaderboard. One, one thing <laughs> that I hope doesn't happen is right before Jordan Spieth went on his hiatus from winning all the shit is he had that meltdown at the Masters, man. That was like it was Ooh. the worst. I think that's the worst. It was so bad. It's the worst golf meltdown I've ever watched. I remember watching it and. And and being like, oh, this isn't just like, this isn't like a one tournament meltdown. Like he he's 
he's having a life altering event. Yeah, he got like the yips. I know this uh, John Vandeville or whatever who hit like a 13 or something. I think it was on like 17 or 18 of the Masters. I can't remember. I'm not the biggest golf guy in the world. But yeah, I watched that live too. And he just kept dunking them and dunking them. And du- it, it was that was painful to watch because he had a he had a decent sized lead, if I remember correctly. I think he had like a five or six stroke lead. Oh, he just oh yeah, it was, it. It, was a dun- it was like it was like in the bag. And he just he just imploded and then the implosion turned into like a mental event and then that mental event turned into a drought until last weekend (laughs) he hadn't won won a tournament until like last weekend and he was he was like i mean he he was like second youngest for everything second youngest for this second youngest for that second youngest for everything he had won every single major it's like the guy was on fire on top of the world and then melted down on uh, that was his chance for back to back the right? biggest stage yeah that the, uh or was it not was I it i don't know i don't know yeah i don't know we don't have his wikipedia pulled up if you can't tell but either way he i mean yeah i remember watching that and it was like he got the yips like he just he just could he just couldn't finish it yeah it was sad so either way we definitely wish him the best um come on the podcast um, you and King Kong can be co-guests. Um, oh, dude, fuck that. He but, yeah, he's just going to win the Masters. It's fine. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just fucking do it, baby. Hook him. All gas, no breaks, Jordan. All gas, no fuck breaks. <laughs> Speaking of all gas, no breaks, we got a big position change, it looks like, folks. Um, Jeffrey McCulloch's call-out. Jeffrey McCulloch's call-out yes. for breakout player of the year. He said it. He said, my boy T.O. is going to break out. And guess what? His boy T.O. is spinning down a linebacker where he should have been two years ago. This guy is Isaiah Sim- Isaiah Simmons, DeMarvion Overshone. That, that, that's the mold. This guy is fast and he's big. He's going to hit people in the fucking mouth. I get you, I'll tell you what. He's going to be able to cover running backs out of the backfield and he's going to be able to hit quarterbacks. He didn't have the speed to cover wide receivers. He didn't have it. You know, he didn't have that free safety coverage speed. Now you take this big body that can run sideline to sideline, man, he's going to be everywhere. It's exactly what happened to DeMarvion Overshone. I mean, that's all you have to do with some of these kids is just, hey, look, here's the tape. I mean, DeMarvion Overshone should be, a, I think he's going to be a top three round draft pick next next offseason. And I mean, you give me two more years after DeMarvion Overshone's going of Tyler Owens, or maybe three. I mean, that's what I mean. That's what the league is now, especially in the Big Twelve. You just need these big, fast guys that can cover. And sometimes it's not at safety. You know, sometimes you need spin down a linebacker and just cover sideline, sideline, cover the running back, cover the tight end. You know, I think I think it's a perfect fit, and it should have been done last year. Man, I'm so excited. The more the more that I see from spring practice in the videos, and I know that they're all hype videos. But the more that I see from the spring practice videos, the more that I'm hearing about the position changes, the more that I look at the scheme changes, the more I'm just so excited for PK's defense to just go out there and hit people with stuff that they didn't know that Texas had. Right. I mean, that they're going to unleash all of these freaks on the field. Yes. And it's going to be all about impact. And, and it's going to be something yep. that we haven't seen since the Brian Arakpo, Sergio Kendall days, right? Where it's we're going to have people flying all over the field and just laying fucking wood. Dude, it's I think the coolest thing with the with the PK stuff is like you go back and you look at his history with Washington and like, you know, what he was able to do with the talent and the recruits that he had. Now you give him Texas recruits. You know, the school that recruits itself, these athletes that just haven't had any direction, haven't had a good scheme behind them. And now it's like, hey, look, you know, I'm going to I'm going to get the most out of you guys now. Um, It's it's so refreshing. And all the practice reports you hear is just, you know, it's Alfred Collins, this Vernon Broughton, that, you know, supposedly that Ray Thornton, um, the grad transfer from LSU, looks like a stud to replace Osai. They're saying what, you know, we thought we were watching Osai on the field. This guy from LSU is pretty good. He looks huge. Like pictures of him, he looks huge. And if he can move like Osai, like we're good at Jack. 
Like, just stay healthy. Um, linebackers will be solid, especially with Overshone. Now Tyler Owen spinning down. Looks like corner solid with Josh Thompson. Darian Dunn looks like an NFL player. Um, plus, you have Deshaun Jameson, who's a beast. Um, you know, safety is really my only concern on the defense. And, I, you know, I think those can be pretty well covered up. Um, and especially, you know, if, if Jaron Thompson's a fret, you know, the, I guess he's technically a true freshman with the COVID year. Um, you know, if he's starting for you, I mean, that's just easy experience. I, I cannot wait to see, you know, everybody's been talking about Sark in the offense, but the defense has been kind of neglected. I think the defense might be the strongest part of our team next year. Oh, who knows, man. But I think, uh, both are going to be pretty special. So I was listening to, um, an interview from the presser that Josh Thompson and Roshan Johnson did yesterday. And if you haven't checked that out, um, give that a good listen on the YouTubes or whatever you, consume your longhorn media on but these guys are drinking from a fire hose and soaking it up like sponges you can tell that these guys were not shying away from complexity it wasn't that the schemes were too difficult these guys just weren't feeling the way that they talk about these positions is and and some of the playbook changes and some of the things that they're they're getting looks at it really does feel like tom herman and his coaching staff did not understand the types of athletes that they had and they were just trying to use them for the completely wrong purposes and it really does sound like the new coaching staff is actually taking their playbook and adapting it to the current players instead of installing a system and saying player X does this in this system. They're actually looking at the talent that they have on the roster and saying, how can we achieve the best possible outcome with the talent that we have and do something that we're really comfortable with and that we're bringing to the table as coaching staff. And so those two things I think are going to be the key to, to Texas success in this next football season. Yep. I mean, I, I, you can already see it. Um, reports. I mean, it looks like Sark almost never ran a two tight end set. And they said, that's honestly what they're running. Mostly now here at Texas is a bunch of two tight end sets. So, um, just adapting like that, when you have guys like Jatavian Sanders and, and Jared Wiley, it's like, let's use these guys, you know, let's, let's not, you know, have Jatavian Sanders blocking, you know, let's, let's let the big dog eat. It's feed the studs, you know, Bijan Robinson. You're not going to be sitting on the sidelines a lot, buddy. You know, you better get that cardio in. I mean, and there's going to be quite a one-two punch with him and Rashawn Johnson. I, you know, yep. the, the more that I think, the more I think Shark's right. Roshan Johnson may actually take away from uh, Bijan getting a 1,600-yard season. <laughs> yep. And, you know, Roshan Johnson's going to smack you in the mouth. And I still laugh about that part of the interview where he's like, man, I can't believe that this former quarterback <laughs> was hitting people in the mouth now. It's awesome. Oh, man. What a missed opportunity in that interview that they didn't ask him. Hey, are you glad that you're not competing in that quarterback room right now? They did ask him about the quarterback uh, competition. And he gave it, you know, a nothing yep. fucking answer. Of course, you know the, the all you can do. Yeah. Everybody's really good and leader, blah blah blah. Yeah, well, fuck that. Right? We just want to know who's yeah. gonna fucking start. <laughs> just tell us. Shit. Imagine that's how it breaks. Like a player is just like, oh yeah, Casey Thompson. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So off of football, on to baseball. Holy shit. We're beasts. I said fire David Pierce at the start of the year, and now it turns out I'm an idiot per usual, except for everything non-King Kong related. So, uh, yeah, we're number four in the country, and we just swept Kansas. Um, I think we're playing SFA right now. Um, I haven't checked the score, but I assume that we're winning because we're yeah, awesome. Tech is coming to town pretty soon. Yep. That'll be a fun series. Man, yeah, it'll be great to see, you know, the regionals. And hopefully, I mean, if we make it to a College World Series, that's even more eyes on Texas between the, you know, the Sark hire and what he's doing and now the Beard hire, which is getting all, all eyes on Texas. But, you know, if we can be dominant in the big three sports, whew, look out. The Beard hire. Did you watch that presser, man? I watched it twice. I wanted to just inject that entire presser directly into my veins. I wanted to run through a wall for that man. That was that was incredible. I loved the Sark. You know, he's laid back. He's a Cali guy. Um, Chris Beard is intense, he got no but chill. he seems genuine at the same time. Like I wanted to, I have, 
you know, I wanted to jack up some shots. You know, I'm the widest person you'll ever see. And if you gave me 10 shots to make one, I'm probably not doing it. I wanted to go get some shots up. Like I was ready to go crazy. That was insane. That entire presser, it was 45 minutes. And I was, I was, I was watching it on TV. It's like, I'll give it 15 minutes. Just, see, you know, hear what he has to say. I'm not going to listen to the questions part. I don't need to hear fucking Kirk Bowles, um, you know, spitting diarrhea out of his mouth. Uh, I listened to the entire thing and I had to rewind it and watch it again. It was so good. So what was your favorite part of the presser? Um, my favorite was when he was coach speaking everything and then he forgot what the question was. So he just kept rambling and then he's like, I just need the question to be just repeat the question again. So <laughs> I I, yeah, same, same thing. So I, whatever he was like, sorry guys, I have ADD real bad. And I'm thinking about calling thinking these about recruits. recruits that I need to call right after this. Can you just repeat the question real quick? I was like, this guy fucks. <laughs> Dude, that's authenticity. You don't hear that a lot. You know, you don't hear, you know, a guy just like he could have just stopped that answer. I thought the answer that he gave, like, obviously it was off topic. It was coach speak. But with Tom Herman, it would have been, hey, we're done. Like, it's coach speak. Next question, please. But he's like, hey, I want to answer this genuinely. So I want to hear the question again so I can answer it genuinely. Yeah, I thought it was awesome. I thought the, whole, the entire thing was awesome. Biggest recruiting challenge for him, I, I honestly believe. Dude, I think I think Greg Brown stays. I mean, the. I, I, there's, if you, you can spit to Greg Brown right now and just say, Hey, Greg Brown, you could declare right now, you're going to go 18 to 25 in the NBA draft. You're going to make a million dollars over four years. And you know, who knows, or you can come back in Austin, your home city. You can win games. You can I'll feature you in my office. I'll feature you on defense and you can be a top 10, you know, you'll be a lottery pick. Come on back. There's no reason in my mind that he shouldn't do it. Unless, you know, you're that hard up for money. We're going to beat Baylor every fucking time. And Fuck you, Baylor. <laughs> Fuck Baylor, dude. Fuck you, Baylor. Fuck Baylor. Hey, you know what? I, I got to get on a soapbox for a second. If you're listening to this podcast and you're rooting for Baylor as a Texas fan, fuck you. Fuck off. That's a ter- Who's doing that? No, we don't want them to win. Are you rooting for Aggie? Oh, well, they're from Texas. Big 12 pride. Are you Are you from A&M? Um, oh, Alabama, we want them to win. It's like, no, that's your primary recruiting rival. You, we're recruiting against Baylor. We are trying to put together a winning program against Baylor. Do we want them to hang a fucking banner? And then we have to go fight against that fucking banner? God, no. And they won anyway, but either way. Yeah, if I'm you still rooted for Baylor, fuck about you. The lack of death penalty, <laughs> fucking rapists and murderers. Fuck those people, fucking idiots, dude. We do have some nice people. Baylor forget Baylor about posters. that. We do love you, Baylor posters, but fuck your basketball team and fuck, fuck you. all your sports teams, <laughs> dude. Yeah, th- yeah. Between the rape and like, I mean, Scott Drew took over for over like after a murder, like a real fucking murder. Like, a, yeah. If, yeah. If y'all don't know that story, just go go Google Baylor basketball murder. And it's not about it's not about winning a game like they did against Gonzaga. That was that was pretty close. I mean, there was a lot of, you know, rape and murder jokes, uh, kind of appropriate, kind of inappropriate, depending on your color of humor. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Baylor did fucking absolutely dominate Gonzaga. But absolutely oh, yeah, no congratulations them. are in order. Fuck Baylor. But they did. They did. No, just they did just dirty, dirty, nasty things. to Gonzaga. Yeah, they're good. I'll give them credit. They're good. They were a good team. I had them in my. I had them winning it all in my bracket. So. They were really good at basketball. They were really good at basketball. So hopefully they suck soon because I don't want to talk about them anymore. You know how Texas is going to get real good at basketball? This staff that Chris Beard's putting together. Holy shit! This quick, we're already yes. we're already fully staffed, and we've got. All your coaches are belong to us. Nobody's fucking safe, man. Yeah, he's another all star staff. Texas is finally, finally in football and basketball. They are not fucking around. It's not. Hey, bring your buddies. I mean, they're bringing the best of the best. <laughs> like, sure, there's some comfort hires and stuff in there, but um, like Maligi from Tech. Um, okay, cool. That was Tech's best recruiter. Done. Box checked. Um, Rodney Terry, he was literally UTEP's head coach who took a demotion to come to Texas. Same with Chris Ogden, UTA's head coach, 
coming back to Texas. He was on the 2004 Final Four team, back to Texas. Obviously, he knows the school. He knows how to recruit the school. He knows the expectations of the school. That's going to be super important. And then the big one, the monster one, the one that I didn't expect, Jarence Howard from from Kansas. Holy crap. That guy, go look at his all-time recruits. If you're listening to the podcast, just pull up his 24-7 deal or whatever. All-time recruits. It's like four or five stars. The dude is a recruiter. I don't give a shit how well he coaches. The guy can recruit his ass off. And you you mix that plus with Beard's ties to DFW. Like, DFW is done. It's done. And supposedly there's rumors about the Duncanville head coach uh, being an analyst as well on this team. Like, Woo. bro, just shut it down. And just shut it down. And amidst all of that, it's it's crazy to think about. Amidst all of that, Chris Beard is coming in and saying, we need Texas to have a home court advantage. It needs to be a scary yep. place to stay. I'm going to do what I'm going to do to get the students involved to make that so. And anybody that's listening, you need to do your part and buy season tickets, go to as many games as you can, and be fucking loud. Um, it's it, it's yep. going to be so cool, you know, not in the Frank Irwin Center, right? Because there's one one season left in there, but be loud there. But in this new arena, man, if that place can it's get be awesome. if that place can get started as the scariest fucking place to play a college basketball game, and it just stays that way, that's going to be pretty badass. It's energy, man. It's energy. I mean, I think that's what I've been to a bunch of games at the Irwin Center. It's just so like even when it's a full house, it's so big that it's like it's lethargic and it's quiet and it's just you don't ever feel like it's you know even going to somewhere like the toyota center where the rockets were in the playoffs like that place is electric you know because it's you're like right on top of everything but the Irwin center is just never like that and so now this new arena looks like it's trying to get back to that and if you get a packed house with a winning program a winning culture big energy recruiting. Well, I mean, Texas could be a basketball school, man. There's nothing holding it back. They got the Nike deal. They have the coach. They have the stadium. They have everything in place to be the elite of the elite of the elite. And it's just right now. It's just act on it. All gas, no win. breaks. Win. Baby. All gas, no breaks. Yeah. And that, you know what else I loved about his presser? He talked about getting the Longhorn family back together. You know, you see all these big one and dones that we've had, you know, the Durants, the Mobambas, you know, even the guys that are around for a while, the, you know, the Aldridges, you know, DJ Augustine, all those guys getting that. Yeah. Getting all those guys back involved in the program where, you know, Kevin Durant recruiting Texas, a winning Texas program when he's one of the best players in the NBA, there's, I mean, any At least when he's not telling the crap report that he's going to spit on him on the corner and he can't wait to spit in his which, mouth because he's a bitch. Fuck that guy. <laughs> fuck Rappaport, too. I would spit in his face, too. Fuck that guy. Oh, my God. That did was you so see him? Did you funny. see him cry? Oh, did God. you see him cry? He, he On first take, he came on, and supposedly he's the king of trash talk, Michael Rappaport. He came on first take, and he literally cried. Um, I think like somebody at his coffee shop called him a bitch boy or something like that. And on camera, he is crying. If you haven't seen the interview, you got to go look. It's one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my entire life. Thin skin. <laughs> so I will say, you know, something that I just remembered about the the Chris Beard presser as well is he talked not only about how much he wanted to amp up the energy inside the basketball stadium, but how he and his family were the biggest Longhorns football fans. And that was going to hold true throughout the basketball program. And that the basketball team was going to support the football team and they're going to expect the same in return. And that is so cool to see the different, you know, priority sports acknowledging each other and expecting greatness from each other. And I think that's going to really elevate the level of competition. Tom Herman probably didn't know Shaka Smart's name. <laughs> he had no fucking clue. Like he, had, he probably didn't know Shaka Smart and he did. They probably never crossed paths. He just didn't care to. So it is awesome to see that kind of alignment, you know, um, between all the big programs and they feed off each other's success, you know, especially um, when it comes to like, I want to see Sark involved with the baseball program. You know, even I know he went to, to A&M, but, you know, Connor Wagman, he's a MLB prospect as well as a, a football prospect, you know, so those guys happen from time to time as well as football and basketball. You know, so 
uh, being able to get involved in those recruitments and, and work well with each other um, could pay dividends in the long run for sure. All right. So we're approaching, we're rapidly approaching the end of the podcast. And I've got a question for you. If there was one fight that you could deem the ultimate fight, and it has to be real people, right? It can't be fake. It's not like Kong versus they be Godzilla, dead? because like we like the answer is Kong okay. versus Godzilla, right? Right. Real life, real talk. Right, they so can be I'm dead, going. right? So dead or alive, but person that lived. Okay. Ultimate fight. Okay. I'm going a coked up Kimbo Slice, R.I.P. Yeah, a coked up Kimbo Slice versus anybody in the world except Prime Mike Tyson. So I believe I've watched enough bum fights and Kimbo Slice backyard fights to know that he could beat the shit out of basically everybody in the world um, in his prime. Um, Major Rip, love you, Kimbo Slice. Wish you could come on the podcast, um, but I think he'd whip the shit out of anybody except Prime Mike Tyson. Prime Mike Tyson is the is and forever will be the baddest motherfucker that has ever lived on this planet. Bar none. I don't care. He would put Genghis Khan in the fucking in an ankle lock. He he would beat the ever loving shit out of anybody that has ever thrown a punch ever. Nineties prime Tyson against anybody in the world. <laughs> Who do you got? All right. For me, so I don't think the actual fight itself would be all that interesting. But I think the buildup to the fight would be the best buildup possibly ever. And it would be Ric Flair in his prime against Conor McGregor. Nature Boy. <laughs> oh, that would be great. <laughs> You're talking about uh, yeah. diamond ring wearing, kiss stealing, woo, wheeling dealing, <laughs> son of a gun. <laughs> oh, let's wear it. Oh, dude, the promo's limousine riding, airplane flying. I spent more money on spilt liquor flying from one end of the country to the other than you've made in a year. And I'm having a hard time holding these alligators down. Woo. <laughs> Dude, the nature boy's great. Yeah. Nature I think, boy's I great. Think him and Conor McGregor, but I think that, uh, I mean, the fight may actually be super fucking interesting as well, but the build up to that fight would be world breaking. The oh, world man. would melt. Oh, yeah. That's all you need. Just thirty press conferences. Holy shit! That's I would. That's that's absolute <laughs> appointment viewing. Absolute I, appointment and, you viewing. Know, and I think a close <laughs> second is on slate. Hopefully for next week when we've got both Slorch and Durka on. The yes, the battle of the century. Tech versus Texas coming in. Hey, guess what, Slorch? We stole your coach, and we got Durka and. We're just going to sit back and watch the fireworks, baby. Let's go. And with that, we're going to call it a podcast. Hook them. Hook them. <laughs>